0: This chapter today. I'm, I'm probably not going to read every verse, but um, what I, in order to do that, I, uh, in order to get through it, I have to kind of do that. But I'll give you a summation of each paragraph. What we're going to look at essentially is the voice of the Holy Spirit through these three movements in our text this morning. We have uh, verses. Thirty-nine through forty-five, we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. What he's doing through uh, Elizabeth and how she spoke by the Spirit, and then we have the worship of song by Mary as she enters the house and sings, apparently, and then lastly, the birth of John the Baptist in the prophetic nature of the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what we want to see. And glean from the scriptures this morning the witness of the Spirit, the worship of the Spirit, and the prophetic nature of the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. There's nothing good in our flesh. All things that are wrought that, that bring about good in our life are the product of His presence and His work within our hearts. Most of us are aware of that. And if you aren't aware of it and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you'll soon learn that. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But our faith, our faith uh, that we have in the Lord honors him. And in turn, God honors our faith. As the scripture says, those who honor him, he will honor. Those who lightly esteem him shall be counted as nothing. So here we have uh, the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, most of us are aware that there's been about a 400-year gap in silence. God has not spoken in a prophetic nature to the nation of Israel uh, since the prophets in the latter part of your Old Testament Bible there as you look at it. Um, 400 years, it seems like a long time. None of us live to be that age. Think about our nation. Our nation is just under 250 years old, so we still have another 150 years plus to make it to the 400 year mark. 400 years is a long time. And God has not spoken in a prophetic way. But he has left in the scriptures. And he has left it there for the faithful to glean and to exercise their faith and trust. You know, the nation of Israel was to live by the promises of God. And they were trusting him for, for the major, most important major event that was to unfold in their history. And that was the coming of the Messiah. The long-awaited promise of God's deliverance. But it was more than a deliverance from the on the physical level. It was to be a deliverance, more importantly, from the spiritual level. A deliverance from the power of sin over the human heart. Israel was being challenged by God at this time to live by the promises of God. It's the same in the church today. We have not had any prophetic revelation since the first century. There are those who have become impatient with God and sort of made up their own scriptures along the way. And we have various cults uh, trying to posture themselves as being authoritarian, but not so. God, in the last days, has spoken through his son, Hebrews 1. He is the express image of the Father. God has anything to say, he's going to say it through the voice of Jesus Christ. He is all that we need. We don't need any more revelation. We just need to believe and trust God in the revelation that he's already given to us. What is in the Bible? And then there are people that criticize the Bible. Well, the Bible's been tampered with. We don't have all the... You have enough. There's plenty there that you're not doing. So just work on what you know. You'll be fine. Study the scriptures. You'll be fine. Pl- He's not silent. He has spoken. There's a story some time ago. Some missionaries in Botswana... Uh, they were there for about 400 years, 400 years, about 10 years. <laughs> but They were one of the exceptions to living a long life, I guess. <laughs> but as the story goes, they were there for 10 years and not one single convert. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's just rough sledding for anybody. And so the missionary board, you know, thinking, you know, you've been there a long time, not much fruit, might consider moving on. something else. And sometimes that is God's plan, that is his purpose. Uh, But the thought of them leaving their post just grieved them. They really felt that God wanted them to continue on for a time longer and that he would answer their prayers in due season. And so they stayed for another year, a couple years, and yet no fruit. And then one day someone a friend of theirs from England contacted them and asked them, look, hey, I'd like to send you something. What do you want? What can I send you? Just wanting to encourage them in the work and, and all. And uh, the answer says, you know, if you could send us a communion set, just a set of, uh, of things to be able to serve communion. And so they uh, were sent this sometime uh, before the communion set arrived. Uh, they had a convert, and then another convert, and there were six people assembled, and they wanted, had been preparing to have communion with whatever they could find, and lo and behold, this communion set from England arrived, and they were able to uh, set up the, that's faith. God honors faith. They were trusting God in this last, what do we need? Isn't that incredible? You don't have anybody converted, and yet you're praying for it. Lord, you know, we'll take the communion set because we're going to need it. That just blesses my heart. See, that's the kind of faith that we're to put in God. And that's the kind of faith that God honors. And this really is sort of reminiscent of what we see here. Think of the faith that Zacharias and Elizabeth had. And then think about the faith that they had even after having this encounter with Gabriel, the angel, to tell them, look, God has heard your prayers. What you've been praying for, it's going to happen. And, 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 and by the way, just because you didn't believe him, you're not going to be able to talk anymore. Yeah, I don't know if he asked for that, but he got that. It gives it an encouragement. We need to walk by faith and trust God, right? Mary didn't fall into that ditch, did she? Oh, wow. Well, I have not known a man. How's that supposed to happen? How am I supposed to have a child? Oh, well, well whatever. Okay, that's what you say. Let's just go for it. You know, I mean, different responses. But the whole idea is that these men were and women were godly people. They loved the Lord. And God is recorded this for you and I, not just to read, oh, nice little Christmas story. Isn't it just wonderful? Little baby Jesus there, you know, and little baby John. There's more to than just the story. There are truths here that we need to employ, that we need to, to, to understand what is there for us, that it's available to us as believers. So first of all, we want to look at this witness in verse 39 through 45 of the Holy Spirit. As Mary, at the prompting of Gabriel... Uh, go to see your kinswoman, uh, your near relative, uh, who is great with child. She's in her sixth month. And so, as she goes there, this is where we pick the story up. So, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country, which with haste to the city of Judah, probably Hebron, the great city for priests, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth happened that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy." Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. This is uh, an interesting story, to say the least. We know that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Here's the witness of that. And as it happens, as she enters the room, John the bee gets fired up. (laughs) It's pretty... Now... um, you know, she goes through the list of, of blessings uh, that were for Mary. Blessed you are among... Why was she blessed? Well, first of all, she was blessed, number one, because she believed. Uh, that's a that's a good place to start. And then just understanding that she was moving in obedience, um, the revelation of Elizabeth's pregnancy. You know, she believed that God was on the move. There was, her faith was uh, huge. And obviously, she's going to be blessed that she's going to Suckle, if you will, the Messiah. Now, newborns and moms—it's a—it's a precious thing. It's a thing, you know. I was able to observe that five times in my own family, and um, there's just something special about a mom and a, a newborn and a baby. Just—they're just so gifted at nurturing, and um, she got the privilege of nurturing. Baby Jesus, that is just... So the next time you look at a newborn, just think about God humbling himself and taking on those miniature features of a human being and having to suckle and become that vulnerable. It's just it's hard to grasp. She also would have the privilege of raising a perfect child, something nobody else would have that privilege of doing. So yes, she would be blessed by raising a perfect child. But she could always... You know, correct the older, other children that came along. Why don't you just be more like Jesus? <laughs> you know, Mom, you know. But notice what she says here. And it's given by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the mother of my Lord. Now, you know, there's people that, well, they didn't really know that Jesus would be incarnated. They didn't know that Yahweh would incarnate. They, that was really sort of a mystery. No, it wasn't. Those who were students of the scriptures, the priests, the prophets, and those who were loyal to God and were men and women of faith understood that the coming of the Messiah was Yahweh coming in the flesh. They knew that. They understood that. And so this was was just a witness of the Holy Spirit showing her, revealing to her, that truly what the, the child in Mary's womb was indeed Yahweh taking on flesh. Now, I love these portions of Scripture here, all uh, all the verses here in this, these three sections, because when a person's filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak freely. They're, the timidity, as it were, leaves, and they're speaking freely because they're under the f- anointing and filling of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, I just can't imagine. Well, first of all, having a baby jump in your womb would be It might be unnerving. I don't know, ladies. I mean, I used to get pretty freaked out when I put my hand on my wife's stomach and, you know, the guys or girls were moving. Whoa. Like, wow. But to jump, I mean, how much room is in there? Got a trampoline in there? I mean, what's going on? I mean, whoa. (laughs) What if she jumped? (laughs) But I want to look at the baseline here. There's a few things that I think are important in regards to the witness of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what should really happen in our lives. This is the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so to begin that, let's get to the baseline. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? You gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit unless you have the Holy Spirit, right? You know, the... Scripture tells us that in Ephesians 2.18 that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the idea there is to be being filled. It's not a one-time experience. It is maybe initially an experience, but then from time to time uh, we need to be filled, constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure, as Paul says, in earthen vessels, clay pots, and we're cracked and we leaked the contents all too easy and so the idea is we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit and the baseline of that is to be in the presence of the Lord and this is a a very much a concern to me and to many uh, pastors that love the Lord We see the waning attendance to church, especially in a Western culture where we have the technology. Well, you know, I don't. I no, I'm just going to stay in my jammies. I'm going to stay home. You know, my cup of coffee, and I'll just watch it. Fine. That's that's. You know, there are are occasions when, if you're not feeling well, you should stay home and keep your germs to yourself. Got no problem with that. But there's a dynamic that is takes place in the body of Christ that only takes place where only two or three are gathered in his name. Now remember this. In the Old Testament, we had the tabernacle. Yeah, God who is everywhere simultaneously. I can't get my mind around that, but that's what the scriptures teach. Yet he confined himself in the nation of Israel to the tabernacle and the Shekinah that was there. You had to go to there to observe that. Unless you had really good eyesight and you could see you far from a, from a great distance, right? And so it is, there's a manifestation that takes place in the body of Christ. When true, sincere believers are gathered together and God is in the midst. There's a dynamic that cannot be fabricated in any other way. In fact, it can never be fabricated. So you like, well, I'll go out and... Into the wilderness, you know, I'll go out into the woods and I'll get alone with God. That's good. Those are important things to do. You'll have an experience with God, but it's not the same. Well, you can go, in your, you can go fishing, you can go biking, you can go in whatever you want to do and to justify your non-presence of going to church on a regular basis. Because, you know, you want to be alone with God. See, that's, that's your own religion. That's making up things in your own mind that you think are acceptable to God. The Bible tells us very clearly, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. God has something special for you beyond what you can experience being alone with the Lord. So that's the baseline, the presence of God. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing we see in verse 41 is that she heard. The Holy Spirit gives you ears to hear what is on God's heart. And that's important. Verse 42, after hearing she spoke. You see, the idea of being filled to be a witness for God and being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you are not afraid to speak the Word of God. The timidity that we have by nature when it comes to things that are not always comfortable for us, all that timidity leaves. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us a sound heart and a sound mind to be able to speak for Him. See, the Holy Spirit wants to use you as a mouthpiece because God doesn't want to be silent. He wants the world to know. He wants the world to understand that Jesus Christ came, lived among us, died for our sins, was buried, and that he rose again, and that they can have eternal life through the gift of God. And we are his witnesses. We're to take this message throughout the world. Verse 42 and 43, She was giving, given understanding. She understood by the Spirit of God that Mary was carrying the Messiah. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to her, the Spirit of God. Aren't you glad having the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit gives you understanding? I don't know about you, but ignorance is not bliss. We need to know that we know that we know. The Holy Spirit can deliver that to us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 43, she was humbled this is, what, this is the work of grace in our lives. We are taught humility, honesty, brokenness, and contrition before God by the work of the Holy Spirit. How is it that God would recognize me? How is it that the mother of the Messiah would come to my house? Yes, God does condescend to the level of fallen human beings, and he interacts with them because he loves us. We're humbled by his presence. This is something I think is an important thing to understand and know that our relevance as human beings is not confirmed by what we say or what we do. How many people are, they find their identity in their work, in their occupation that's really a sad thing. See our relevance doesn't come from what we do or what we say our relevance comes because God loves us And that he acknowledges us as his children before him. My life doesn't become important because I'm a pastor, a husband, a father, or even a builder. It's nothing to do with what I do, it's who I belong to. What I do doesn't define me. Innately, we all want our lives to matter. And so that's very natural for us, and we're very prone to think that, so if I do this, then now my worth, life is worth something. My life really matters. Uh, not really, on a, on a human level. It matters because God loves you. It matters because we're created in the image of God, and he has a plan and purpose for our lives. So my life is only validated by his recognition and being filled with the Holy Spirit to glorify Him in my actions and in what I do. There is a subtle difference there. It's not the perceived influence of good that I may that may result from what I do that gives my life relevance. It's Him. It's Him. You know, the Bible tells us that without a vision, the people perish. The idea there, the word vision there is Prophetic utterance. We need revelation. Understand that in this day in which we live, this, we are living in a land, uh, there is a famine for the word of God. The pulpits are filled with verbal pablum at best in some places. And there's a lot of pastors that are afraid to speak the word of God because of the fear of man. They're intimidated by the people that surround them or what maybe the government might do to them otherwise. They're really not free, and that's kind of sad. It's easy to be intimidated. Obviously, what's taking place today is an un- is unprecedented. The devil, as we can see pretty easily now, with doesn't take a whole lot of discernment, uh, It's under the sway of the wicked one. Satan really has his people, if you will, in places, high places in government. There's a lot of deception. This calling of a great reset, you know, we've got to have this great reset because of the climate. We should, we must submit our lives to the government. Otherwise we're going to use up all the earth's resources and, and the polar caps are going to melt. No. You know what's really needed? Is a national and a global repentance in an unprecedented way. We need global revival. We need God to come and visit this planet in a special way. On a massive scale, we need revival. And what it will take is a filling of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ to accomplish that. Not by might, what we do. Not by power, our human ability. But by my spirit, says the Lord, this great mountain shall be removed. That's the only way this mountain of confusion This stronghold of the enemy will only be removed by the power of the Holy Spirit within the church of Jesus Christ, and that will come on a basis individually. Individually, we must experience the presence of God. That is the power of the witness. Now, secondly, verses 46 through 56, we have the the song of Mary, the Magnificent, as it's often referred to. And I think this is an important part of the work of the Holy Spirit, that it brings forth worship into our lives. To keep the embers of God's fire burning within our hearts, we must be continually worshiping him, drawing close to him, giving him his worth, his value. That's what it really means, worth. Giving God his worth. Is he worth our time? Some people don't think so, they don't bother you to go to church. They don't see that being significant to just lift their voice and worship God and express their love to Him with the rest of the brethren. Is God worth that? Is He worth your money, your heart earned, by blood, sweat, and tears, the funds that you earn to provide for your family, is He worthy of a portion of that? We all have to answer these questions. What is God worth? How much is God worth to you, to me? Mary responds with adoration. She says here, and I'll just read through. This is powerful. This is a powerful song. Obviously, she's gleaning from some of the old, maybe some of Hannah and, and some of the um, songs that we're saying uh, in the Old Testament. Mary said, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his mate, servant, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, he has put down the mighty. From their thrones and exalted the lowly, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, for three months and then returned to her house. But let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit through this filling of Mary. Her soul magnifies. The adoration that she had for Yahweh. The special favor that was upon her life. You, that, this is the gift of God. It is a special favor. You have that. Oh no, I don't. Yes, you do. We come to God on the basis of grace. We are made worthy to have the Holy Spirit because of the blood of the Lamb. And think no less of yourself than that. That is just pride that would resist the gift that God desires to give us. My soul magnifies the Lord. God help us to adore our Savior more and more. But then she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The praise that should come from our hearts that have been set free and forgiven. Think of the salvation that we have, the strength that we receive, the recognition of His love and compassion in our lives, His mercy when we absolutely rebel against Him or make mistakes. He's so merciful that's who he is. And he ministers to us on the basis of his grace. You ever think about the difference between your soul and your spirit? Now there are those who sort of want to combine that and we're just one. It's the invisible, immaterial part of our being that we cannot see. I can only see your body. You can only see your flesh. I can't see your soul. I can't, you can't see my spirit. But the Bible uh, says that we are trichotomous in that sense. Um, if you pull up, Guys, First uh, Thessalonians five twenty three. Uh, this is sort of a proof text for that. First Thessalonians, if you're taking note, five twenty three and twenty four. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was faithful. He who calls you is faithful, also will do it. Hebrews four twelve. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So here we have that breakdown of who we are. Our soul, your soul, is who you are. It's your personality. There's nobody else like you. And my wife says, Amen, I'm glad there's only one like you. (laughs) No, there's nobody else like you you are you your spirit is your ability to commune with god you communicate with god and commune in your heart through the spirit and he puts the spirit upon every soul that's born into this world a part of him and so we become eternal the spirit makes you and i eternal beings whether that spirit is separated from god or whether it's been made alive through being born again through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have eternal existence. Of course, we are all familiar with the body and its appetites. How can we not know that? But having a physical body gives me the ability to communicate on this earthly physical realm. And having been born again, now I can commune with God in the Spirit and hear His voice. His Spirit bears witness with my spirit. It's a wonderful thing and gift that God has given to us. important to understand that Uh, secondly uh, well thirdly i guess from adoration and praise to thankfulness he has regarded his main servant isn't that amazing that god actually cares about you that's not an overstatement it's probably understated god cares he cares about the problems you carried through that door this morning and when you sat down in that chair God cares. He wants you to cast all those cares upon him, because he can handle it. You can't alone, nor does He want you to bear it alone. He regards you, and she is thankful. She expresses her thankfulness. People that are filled with the Holy Spirit are, are thankful people. This is one of the things in Romans one that's mentioned that, that really brings forth the judgment of God. They were neither were they thankful. Think about the wealth. The food and the luxuries and the comforts that we have in our nation. And we saw those pictures this morning of how the third world countries live. And if you've been on a mission trip, you get it. Especially in our nation, we are glutted with luxuries. Wow. God has been so good to us. We need to be a thankful people. But it seems and appears the more we accumulate, the more we have, the less thankful we become. And that's really sad. But having the Holy Spirit will give us a constant reminder how we need to give thanks to the Lord. If you find yourself having too much stuff, just start giving it away. And you'll be blessed in doing that. Number three, she points out the holiness. You see... What she is aware of by the filling of the Holy Spirit is the nature and character of God. And this is powerful. If we contemplate the nature and character of God, it will transform our lives. I'm convinced of it. She recognizes His holiness. He is holy. We sang that this morning. He is merciful. From generation to generation. He's faithful. Verse 51. The power, the arm... His revealed strength. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have power and authority in your life. You can say a point-blank no to temptation. No, I'm not doing that. And you can say it with authority. I don't have to live after my flesh anymore. I refuse to do that. Oh, I'm a victim. No, you're not. There's no feeling sorry for yourself. We call it what it is and we deal with it. And that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. In our flesh, we're weak. We're cowards. We're wimps. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a power and a dynamic. By faith, we are able to put the old man out of business. I don't have to live after the flesh. Hallelujah. No, I may slip and fall. I may cater to it on occasion. But I am quick to repent because I have the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful gift you want that gift? Do you want to be walking in the fullness of that gift? You're going to get a chance. We're going to pray for each other at the end of the service here. We're going to take advantage of what's been provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Number seven, she saw the equitableness of God in his nature and character. He blesses the lowly. Those who come broken and contrite and hungry and thirsty are blessed and filled. Those who think they're all sufficient, they got what they need, they can stay home on Sunday mornings, they don't need to go to church, they're empty. And they'll go away and they'll stay empty. That's straightforward. Because we're living in a time. We don't have time to feed the flesh, we don't have time to pamper ourselves in that manner. We're at war. People are dying. There are casualties. There are wounded people. You've been gifted and anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit to be a warrior, to minister His grace in this lost, fallen world. God help us. And let me finish this up here. In verses 57 through 80, we have this, and this is where it's going to be difficult to cover all these verses uh, by reading them all. Uh, John is born, uh, As naturally. Friends and family rejoice. We just had a new addition to our family, and that's a pretty cool feeling. Wow, new life. Get to meet a new personality, a gift from God. In this case, the Word of God is fulfilled. Um, the barren woman, w- uh, the barren womb that Elizabeth had was f- filled with a child, and he came forth, and everybody was rejoicing for the mercy of God. They named him, as Zacharias was told that they should, John, the grace of Yahweh. Yeah, old folks, God still uses older folks, <laughs> and it's amazing. But as a result of The name Zacharias utters an incredible prophecy as a witness. Now, you see how, as we've gone through this, Elizabeth has a witness, the worshiper is Mary, and now we have the prophetic utterance of Zacharias. Is also a witness. You see there's a lot of overlap here. The Holy Spirit does the same thing in his work in each and every individual. It says here that his mouth was opened. Elizabeth spoke. We are witnesses. That is part of the reason why God gives us his spirit because he knows by nature our natural inclination is to keep our mouth shut. I don't want to make any waves. You think I want to say everything that I say up here? I know there are times when I say things like, man, I, I don't know if I should have said that. Well, that's not going to go over so good. I know that. I know that. And I'm not trying to be rude or mean in any way but there's some truths that must be spoken in love because unless we repent, we're not going to receive all the blessing that God has. As a parent, we speak hard things to our children. We say hard things sometimes because we want them to grow and to develop, to become all they can become. And this is really, so, as, and I, you, know, you quickly learn this as a parent, as a Christian parent anyway, that is, I'm parenting these little people that God has given me, my God is parenting me. And in a sense, as a pastor, I'm being pastored and ministered to and parented by God as a pastor. And in some sense, I'm parenting the family of God in his place. And so some things are hard to say, but they need to be said. Because if they're obeyed, and there's faith expressed, Great things are going to happen. There's going to be joy. There's going to be worship. There's going to be glory and honor brought to God. And that's what it's about. He prays. He opened his mouth and he praised God. <laughs> Isn't that great? When to God. We just open our mouth and praise God. And, then it, and so uh, the result of this is that the fear came upon the neighborhood. Uh, that's an important thing. The fear of the Lord, it was like, whoa, man, this is like, uh, what's going on here, man? The guy's been mute for nine months, and then now he talks? <laughs> what's God doing here? I think the fear of the Lord is such an important thing in our lives. It is the awe and respect. Uh, some of us, maybe, if you, let's say if you're struggling with, I know I just don't have enough fear, Enough respect. I just wish I respected God more. And in your flesh, none of us, I mean, it's just a fleshly thing. We despise authority. We want to do what we want to do. I think one of the best things to do, and I, I try to do this really often, is go out early in the morning hours or when it's dark out and just look up at the sky. Get a grip of those stars. They've been there a long time, by the way. Or when the sun rises or the moon's hanging out there. You look up there and you see that firmament and it just puts you right in your place. I'm a nobody. I'm not relevant. In and of myself. And then when you start thinking scripturally and you look up there and you realize that he calls all those stars by name. And he holds it there. He sustains everything. And we don't we even know. We don't even, you know, just by people, mariners and all the other things that go on in the ocean. We have no idea the life that's in the deepest depths of the ocean. We haven't been able to search even a bit of that in our explorations. But when you start looking at creation, it it just should just completely arrest your thoughts of self and just think, how awesome and incredible our God is. <laughs> I've said this before, but I think it's probably what's going to happen to at least me. When I see God for the first time, if I'm able to talk, I think the first words out of my mouth will be, wow. <laughs> right? I don't know. It might be something different, but it's, whoa, could be that. The thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we start to get a glimpse of the incredible nature of our God. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, things are revealed to us, verse 67. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied and he went through an extreme list. 400 years, finally, he's able to say, God has visited us. He's redeeming us. The Messiah is on his way and God is sending this man, this prophet, he's given to us as a forerunner. That which he spoke in time, old time, is now coming to pass. John will be the prophet. He'll go before the Lord. He'll give the knowledge of the way of salvation. This is what happens when you have the Holy Spirit. There's revelation through your life to others. And then direction. To give light to those who sit in darkness. To guide those in the way of peace. You see, that's the ultimate end, isn't it? We are at war. Mankind is at war with God. And until we stop, repent, and turn to Him, that war will continue. But God doesn't want there to be a war. He wants that wall of petition destroyed, and it's only destroyed through the power of the cross. And when the cross and the truth of the crucifixion and the sacrifice that was made for us is employed in our hearts and our lives, and the result of that is peace, I'm no longer at war was God he loves me and I now love him and this is a wonderful experience for all of us but this all happens by the Holy Spirit when we think about the contrast of those who are saved and those who are not saved we were given an illustration of what happens or what should happen right out of the gate in Genesis we have Abel and we have Cain We have those who are willing to submit to God's way, able, and understand that he was a sinner that needed forgiveness. But then we have a self-righteous man who is not offering his gifts in faith, but thinking that his offering, the works of his hands, are sufficient for him to have his sins forgiven. One was received, and one was rejected. One was freed from his sin and forgiven. One was Retained his sin, and it began to rule over him to the point where he murdered. You see what happens if we come to God on His level through the precious blood of Christ. We're accepted. We're received. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are those who resist, and they, as it says, they walk away empty. We're going to take some time now. The fellows are going to pass out the communion. And we're going to take a few minutes to contemplate our relationship individually before the Lord. Now you know, like nobody else knows, about your personal relationship with Jesus.